Hi, this is Mark Geals with Mark on Money. When planning for retirement, there is no such thing as a stupid question. And now, live from the heart of Sioux City, Mark on Money with your host, Mark Geals. The key is having a plan in place, knowing what you're going to do, a place where your retirement questions are answered. You could be putting tens of thousands in jeopardy. You'll get the latest news on 401ks and retirement planning. It can make a profound difference with what you can and can't afford in retirement. If you've got questions on how to properly structure your assets and build retirement income, you're in the right place. Welcome in to Mark on Money. Hey, welcome in, everybody. This is Mark on Money with uh, Mark Geals. I'm consumer advocate Steve Sadal. Mark is a certified financial planner. He's been helping folks get to and through retirement for better than 30 years. You'll find him at EFS Wealth Management. I encourage you to check out their website, EFS, the number four, the letter U.com. Jot that down and visit when you can. Uh, it is a, a, a great website. You do such a good job with that, Mark. Hi, how are you, by the way? I am great. You know, this is going to be a fun segment. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because we're going to talk about questions that I get all the time, and we're going to, um, you know, give you the answers to them. All because right. what I've found, you know, when I teach a lot of um, our workshops and that kind of thing, you know, the, you know, when you're when you're talking in front of 30, 40 people, you know, a lot of people don't want to ask a question because they think it's stupid. But, you know, normally if you have a question, there's probably half the other people that are sitting there that are thinking the same thing. Of course. You know, and so like like they said in school, there's no such thing as a stupid question. And I'm going to talk about all the questions that I've gotten that I think are pertinent that you may be wanting to know and talk about what the answers are. Sure. And so the number one question is, is, you know, when can I retire? And, okay, that's a big question. Yeah. Tomorrow, think, yesterday, day before yesterday? Yeah. And <laughs> um, the short answer is you can retire anytime that you want. Um, but, you know, depending upon how long your money is going to last, you might only be retired for a short period of time. <laughs> that's a, That's kind of a that, – I remember seeing a um, – a, uh, what do you call those things where they draw them out a comic? A meme? Not a meme, a comic. A comic, you know, this all was, right. This was in a paper. You know, this was not digital. Okay. And it said, uh, I'm, I'm here to inform you that you can retire for about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but in all seriousness, if you go to our website, EFS, you know, Edward Frank Sam, the number four, the letter U dot com, and right at the top of our website, it says, do I have enough money to retire in big letters? And it walks you through... Um, you know, a time-segmented distribution strategy. And, and really, when you can retire really depends upon a number of things. And number one, it depends upon the math. Number two, it depends upon how much money do you want to spend and when do you want to spend it. And number three, it depends upon what other sources of income do you have. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've found um, is... Um, most people that we visit with and have visited with over the years are able to retire earlier than what they thought they could. Um, well, that's because, a pleasant surprise. Because they, they have a misconception that they need to have, you know, millions of dollars because that's what the media, you know, portrays to people 
that, oh, you've got to accumulate, like Susie Orman said, you got to have $5 million before Five you can million. retire. Well, you know, it depends where you live. Now, now we're in the Midwest, you know, so we're not East Coast, West Coast. So, you know, for those East Coast, West Coast people, yeah, you probably need twice as much money to retire. Or you can just move over here uh, to, you know, fly over country where the weather's great, the crowds are less, and, you know, we get the four seasons, um, and we can always travel. Um, but the cost of living here is half of what it is over there. Um, and so it depends. And it also depends upon, you know, what you want to do. And so what I always say is, is you know, when you look at time-segmented distribution, so basically a good definition of that is, you put your money into different buckets according to when you're going to need them. Typically, those buckets are broken up into time segments of usually about five years or so, um, usually because that's usually just you know a good time period for distributing money. So whether it's a bond ladder, you know, a fixed account you're taking money out of, you know, maybe a, a deferred comp plan, um, you know, that you're getting money paid from, um, you know, or you know, it just works well from that standpoint. And then it depends upon when you're going to start taking it and how much you're going to take during your different periods of time. So, you know, you go through um, a number of different periods in retirement. And so, you know, that's another question that, you know, people ask me is, well, how much will I spend in retirement? And so what you have to look at is, is there's really three stages in retirement. You have your go-go years, and your go-go years are said to last until usually your mid to late 70s. So depending upon when you retire, that could be 10 to 15 years uh, or maybe even 20 years, depending upon, you know, what the age is when you're retiring. And then you have your slow-go years and you have your no-go years. And a, a good question I usually ask people is, you know, they always say, well, you know, how much money do I need to have in retirement to live? And so my question is, well, how much money is going into the bank right now? Because a lot of people look at their income that they're receiving and, and you ask them the question, well, what are you making? It says, well, you know, we're making, you know, let's say we're making $90,000. Okay. Um, and so they assume, well, $90,000, I need $90,000 in retirement. But that's not true because what is going into your bank account if you're making $90,000 a year? I would guess that you're probably um, maybe getting deposited into your bank account maybe $4,000 a month, you know, maybe $4,500 a month after taxes and after deductions because what's being paid out of your paycheck, well, 7.65% is disappearing because of Medicare and Social Security. You have taxes. Maybe you have some health care deductions that are being taken out. You have your 401k contribution um, and maybe some miscellaneous contributions for life insurance, disability insurance, um, you know, or other things that are being deducted. And, and so you're living on what's going into your bank account. And so the question is usually, well, um, you know, if you can retire on what you're currently taking home from work, would that suffice? And they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely, because, you know, we're still able to save, you know, three, four hundred dollars a month, 
you know, even after our deposits that are going into our bank account. And so that is a better um, judging uh, scope to figure out, you know, how much money do I need in retirement? And then then we, we you know, because that's basically covering your basic cost of living. Sure. Um, and then if you want to travel, well, how much do we want to travel? Maybe we need to add another $1,000 a month to whatever's going into your bank account and take care of all of those travel expenses, you know, or, or whatever else you want to do in retirement. So you start with, hey, here's what I'm living on. Am I, am I comfortable with that? And, and another thing that happens usually is, you know, your house gets paid for if it isn't already paid for. And so that's another big chunk of money now that you have that you weren't uh, figuring on that you were spending before you retired that now you're not spending any more in retirement because everything is paid for. I like the sound of that, Mark. I mean, it it really sounds like a nice way to do things and to accomplish that successful retirement that we all want. Right. And and I'm going to tell you a little secret. The financial services industry once is is very good at misdirection and what what i want to explain by misdirection is is that they don't want to tell you that you're going to spend less money the older you get in retirement they're going to try to instill in you that hey you know what you, you should spend you know a certain amount earlier in retirement, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen. And so they kind of try to build fear into you. And what ends up happening for a lot of people is they end up with a huge amount of money when they're in their 80s and 90s, and they could have spent way more money earlier on in retirement. And they didn't do it because the financial services industry, if, if that would have happened, isn't going to make as much money off of them. Because if you spend more money, there's less money there in investments and less fees that are being paid. And so it's really counterintuitive, you know, for them to tell you to spend money earlier. Sure. But in reality, that's what you can do. Again, if you go to our website at EFS, the number four, the letter U dot com, and you look at time segmented distribution, that is exactly what you can do. You could spend six or seven percent of your nest egg in those go-go years and still not have to worry about running out of money later on in retirement because you are putting money into those later segments to take care of those expenses. So remember the $4,500 a month? Hey, Mark, I can live fine on $4,500 a month. We're doing it now. And so, hey, in 15 years after the go-go years are up and you still are having that $4,500 a month income coming in, would that still be okay? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. We'll have done what we wanted to do as long as as people understand that, hey, we're going to bring a lot of this, this money forward and we're going to spend it while we're healthy, we're active, we want to go and travel, we want to do things, that that is not going to be able to continue forever. You know, there's a finite point to it. But you can do that when you specifically allocate dollars for that purpose. So that is what time-segmented distribution is. It's making a purpose for every dollar that you have and putting it into the time periods when it's going to be spent. And then you know, hey, if we spend all this money now, we have money allocated you know, 15 years from now. So when we're 80 years old, we're going to have X amount of dollars set aside for you know, our slow-go years. 
Sure. Well, again, I think that's uh, that makes so much sense, uh, you know, on so many levels, Mark, and that it, it helps us, I think, take the, the worry out of living in retirement because we've got that income we know is always going to be there. Right. And so another question I get a lot is, should I retire early? Um, and really, nobody can answer that question. Um, we can run the numbers and we can tell you if you're able to. Um, we actually have a workshop that we have taught. It actually won the, the psychiatric um, or psychological whatever award. Um, and it does not focus on money. Instead, it, instead it focuses on the psychological, the mental, and the physical aspect of retiring. Because that's an important one to understand is if you do retire early or when you do retire at all, that you understand what's going to happen to you emotionally and mentally from that standpoint and be prepared for it. Because there's a lot of people that become depressed after they retire because they think they're going to be able to be busy and do all these things. And, and they end up just being bored because they didn't really have a plan or maybe they didn't have the expectations that retirement was going to give them met. Um, so you, you got to, that's, that's another thing that people, maybe they're, plenty prepared financially, but the mental part of it isn't there. And that's certainly an important part. We've talked about that before, and, and that is a specialty of yours, Mark, that behavioral finance, that, that mental aspect of things, and, and how, to, how to make that work in retirement. Right. And, you know, so in, here's, another, here's another question is, when do I apply for Social Security benefits? And, you know, again, it is a really not done correctly um, most of the time for people. I, don't, I just don't know how to say it. 90, I don't remember what the percentage is, but 92% of people claim the wrong benefit when they apply for Social Security. <laughs> Boy, that's a, I mean, that's a big number. And how do, we, how do we know if we get it right? Well, you, you've got to be able to talk to somebody who, who really understands what Social Security is as part of a retirement distribution plan. And somebody that isn't biased, you know, we're fiduciaries, and so we're going to help you make the right choice based upon math, not based upon what's in our best interest. Because what's in the financial services best interest, again, is for you to, to take Social Security as early as you can and leave all of the money that's sitting there invested. Because, again, they're getting paid fees. So if you delayed Social Security and instead drew eight years off of your investments instead and drew your investment accounts down, that strategy might be what's best for you, but it's not best for your advisor because now you've taken, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars out of your investments that they're not getting paid for anymore. Sure. Well, and again, that that Social Security claiming is such a big decision, and it shouldn't be done as a standalone event. It needs to be done in conjunction with the other, the bigger plan that you're putting together for them. And people say, well, you know, I want to get my Social Security benefit because I could die early. Well, remember, 73% of people are worried about outliving your money, outliving their money, not your money. Right. But their money. Their money, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I always tell people, hey, you know what? The, the risk in retirement isn't dying early, it's living a long time. And if you delay Social Security, you actually are alleviating or helping to reduce the chance of you outliving your money because that Social Security benefit is going to be 
almost double what it is than if you chose to take it at the earliest possible time. And so again, if you think about that, most people are like, well, I, yeah, I want to get that money because I might not get enough of it. Well, what happens if you live to be 100 and you know you took Social Security early and permanently reduced what you were going to get by 50% for your rest of your life? including inflation adjustments. you know, And so if you really look at the math and if you have the other assets and that type of thing and combinations of things, um, you know, I, I can't for certain say here's what you should do with Social Security benefits, but you should definitely talk to an accredited Social Security advisor. And we have two of them in our office that are accredited Social Security advisors, and we will run the numbers for you and put that piece together in your puzzle. And that's important because doing it correctly is is one of the easiest ways that myself and our team has of actually creating money for you without putting anything at risk in the stock market because you don't have any risk involved in Social Security. The risk is if you've chosen wrong is that you're not going to receive as much money. But I've seen differences up to a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. So we're talking six figure differences in getting it right when applying for Social Security. Wow. That's a big deal. That is a huge deal. And yep. and so let's talk about taxes for a second, because that becomes, uh, I mean, you've got to get questions about that, but that becomes such an integral part of our overall plan as well, is that tax planning. Right. And, and tax planning today has gotten even more complicated than it's ever been. Um, we do a tax workshop uh, called Taxes in Retirement, and, you know, I, I open the workshop up. I don't teach them all. Some of our other advisors in our office teach it too. Um, but I, I'll open up the workshop and say, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and we've had the most tax law changes that I have ever seen in my career. You know, so we had the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. We had the Secure Act. We had the Coronavirus Relief Act. Now we have the Secure Act Part 2, and then we have the Biden tax law changes that are coming in addition to inflation and, and, you know, all kinds of other adjustments to Roth IRA contributions and so forth and so on. Uh, we've had massive spending that's been going on, you know, by our government through, you know, just relief money for the, for the uh, pandemic as in addition to, you know, the infrastructure spending, you know, and all the other spending that's going on. Well, what do you think is going to happen to tax rates in the future? You know, does anybody think they're going to go down? I can't imagine anyone does. I don't think anybody thinks tax rates are going lower. And so what what you want to look at is if I pay taxes now, is that going to be a good thing? You know, am I, am I going to win um, or is it not going to make any difference? Well, you know, and again, it's not just about paying taxes now or doing something now. It's about doing something that is in your best interest and doing it correctly and and with the emphasis on correctly you know just simply you know paying taxes now doesn't mean that that it was a benefit to you it has to make sense and so you have to take it into context in that whole picture so there's your answer steve okay i mean again it's all part of the overall plan it all comes back to the plan we talk about it every week and we're kind of going through some questions here. So if you're fortunate enough to have an annuity and you get the option of taking it as a lump sum or over time, is there a right or wrong answer there? Yeah, there is a right or wrong answer there. I just got done um, 
a couple weeks ago meeting with a client of mine. She was a nurse uh, who has not been at the hospital for a while. Um, and so she got a letter in the mail from her pension saying, hey, we want to let you know that, you know, we're going to offer you a lump sum distribution as long as you return this paperwork by December 1st. Um, and so she brings it in and says, well, you know, I've got to take a lump sum distribution. And, and, and you know, I, and, and so I, I said, well, first of all, I says, I don't know if that's your best choice because she still didn't have to take it. There was an annuity choice that that the pension uh, offered her, but it only showed her one. It just showed her a lifetime uh, income distribution choice or a lump sum. And it said, well, if you want to know what your other options are, you got to call us and we'll send you information. And, and I've seen this multiple times uh, in the last 10 years where these these plans, which are called defined benefit plans. So that's what pensions are. They're defined benefit because they actually have writing that in a formula that defines what the benefit is that you're going to get at the end. 401k plans are defined contribution plans. So, I mean, you don't know what you're going to get. You put your money in, you get a match, um, you know, and, you know, it does whatever it does. But other pension plans are defined benefit plans. So, so here's the answer, uh, and here's what I told her. And after running the numbers, I said, absolutely, positively, 100%, this is not in your best interest to take a lump sum. And I believe the distribution rate was like 9% that if she took the annuity, uh, the distribution rate was 9%. So in other words, if there was $100,000 in a lump sum distribution, the annuity equivalent that they would pay her was $9,000 a year or $750 a month. Mm -hmm. And if you go in and then you read a little bit into the formula and the way they calculate the lump sum was based upon an interest rate of four and a half percent. Well, where are you getting four and a half percent today? Nowhere. And and so there's other annuity plans that have other calculations that are based upon maybe the government's midterm interest rate. So it's a formula that's published monthly, uh, and usually they review it quarterly, and they use that interest rate to calculate the lump sum distribution. Well, this plan, the lump sum distribution, was using 4.5% to calculate the lump sum. And so with interest rates at zero, a 4.5% calculation was going to really significantly reduce that lump sum amount. And it just absolutely positively, I told her, there's just no doubt, you know, that, you know, unless you were going to die, you know, in the next, you know, four years or five years, uh, and you knew that that was what was going to happen, was it going to be in your best interest to take the lump sum? And she was a healthy woman, had longevity on her side. Her husband's healthy. He has longevity on his side. And I said, here's here's our industry again. And, I, and I've said this to people before because I've had people that have come in, and I, and I totally 100% uh, agree with this, is that I think you need to go out there and you need to interview at least two advisors, if not three different advisors, just to kind of get a feel of what kind of advice you're getting, uh, because you're going to find the way that they present and how they give advice. Uh, you'll get a little bit better feeling for our industry. 
Um, but they're, they're diverse in their, in their recommendations. But here's what I've found to be true is if she went to two other advisors, the likelihood is that 98% of the time, those other two advisors would tell her to take the lump sum and roll it over because then they get paid on it. And my comment to her was, look, this isn't in your best interest. I said, if it was in my best interest, I, we, we just add it to your managed account and I'd, and I'd get my 1% fee or whatever that fee yeah. happened to be, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, and, you know, it'd be great, you know, but that's not the right choice here. So the right choice is you need to take an annuity settlement. You need to find out what the annuity other structures are, and I will help you make that decision. And because you're a client of mine, I'm going to help you make that decision at no cost to you. And no benefit to me. It's 100% her benefit. Well, that's, I mean, that's what being a fiduciary is, Mark. That's why you do what you do. And so should I take a pension as an annuity or lump? I don't know. Not without looking at those numbers. Not without looking at whatever else there is. Because does your spouse have a, a pension? You know, what are you doing with your Social Security claiming strategies? Because Social Security is a defined benefit plan. They are defining the benefit that you're going to get. So just remember that. It's a defined benefit plan. Social Security is a pension. So just a couple alone, when you're looking at claiming Social Security, has about 567 different claiming options. Oh, my gosh. And so if you just add in one power you know, to that, so if you go back to math, the, the number of claiming options when you add in pension choices, so you just add a third option in there, increases exponentially. So now it goes over, it goes up to about 2,000 and some different combinations because you have a pension now that you have choices that you can take too and timing in terms of when you can take the pension. And if a husband and a wife both have a pension, the combinations, I don't even know what they are, but they're in the thousands okay. of different combinations. So it becomes extremely challenging. It's actually fun. I love it. Um, I've actually had people that couples each have a pension, each have social security. And one of the couples, the, the couples each have two pensions. So now you have six different choices. You know, each of them have three choices, one social security choice and two pension choices. Wow. And That's, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars if you get it wrong. So, yeah, it's important to get it right, obviously. So other other questions, um, I don't know if they're stupid questions, but one of them always comes up, is should I pay my mortgage off before retirement? That's a good one. And my answer is, in my personal opinion, yes. You should not retire with debt, period. And it's not because of, you know, that, you know, you can be that much freer or whatever it is. Here's, here's what I know is if you don't have the discipline and a strategy to get your debt paid off before retirement, I'm talking about mortgage debt. I'm not talking about business debt, you know, or debt on maybe rental properties, you know, or debt on um, farmland or, you know, something else that actually is producing income that is being able to service that debt. I'm talking about consumer debt, mortgage, credit cards, car loans, those types of things absolutely should be paid off because debt is a symptom of an underlying problem that I see is all of the people that I have seen over 30 years that 
are going to run the risk and run out of money in retirement or have to significantly adjust their spending in retirement were the ones who retired with debt. I don't have anyone that I've seen that has not retired with any, I don't know how to rephrase it. I haven't seen people that retire with no debt run into big money issues in retirement. Sure. But I see a lot of people that retire with debt that run into money issues in retirement. So it's a symptom of just not having a good plan, um, not being able to properly uh, plan, manage, spend. Right. Well, and again, I, that, you know, that becomes a lifestyle issue and, and getting to where you need to be. I think a lot of folks will wake up and they're 50 years old and, and realize, oh, this is serious. And, and then they really sort of buckle down and, and get rid of that debt and get closer to retirement. Yeah, I see that happen a lot. And, and, it's, and it's easier to do in your 50s because, you know, hopefully the kids have all moved out and they haven't moved back home yet, mm-hmm. you know, with more kids. And so your expenses go down quite a bit in your 50s you know and a lot of times you've already got a mortgage you've already got a house and you know as your income goes up your mortgage stays level and so it costs less to live in that same house because in an inflation adjusted basis you know if you had a more if you've had a mortgage for for 15 years you know you're paying probably about you know maybe half of what it would cost you in terms of those dollars in terms of today dollars because everything else has gone up but your mortgage payment stayed the same yeah taxes and insurance probably have gone up but the principal and interest payment is the same as it was when that mortgage was taken out sure so again i mean this uh, this has been a fun fun show mark because i just think you really covered a lot of ground and a lot of basic you know sort of frequently asked questions so i think that's important what do you want to leave us with um probably you know one of the um it's not a dumb question but it's it's an honest question i can that people ask that i can give you an honest answer to and that is well mark i've been with my advisor for 20 years what am i supposed to do and so the answer is real simple it's your money um a lot of our clients uh, come from other advisors because we work with mainly older people, so they've had ad- other advisors. And but but it's crazy. Why would you pay somebody? Um, it, it'd be like it'd be like you paying somebody to come over and mow your lawn, but they never show up. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I would you it. do that? No, of course. You not. know, would you pay for something that you don't get, or would you overpay for something uh, just because you've been with somebody for twenty years? I mean, this is your money, and, and in a lot of cases, we're not talking about you know a couple hundred bucks. We're talking about tens of thousands, and in some cases, over time, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It reminds me of a case of um, a client of mine who came over, and you know he was talking to me, and he was just like, "Well, you know, what, you know, how are things going?" He says, "Well, I thought I'd have a lot more money." you know, than what I do right now. And when we evaluated what he was paying his advisor, um, and, and, and you got to remember that, you know, the 2000s, you know, haven't been super, you know, fabulous for returns. Just the last few years have been. But, you know, the S&P 500 up until, you know, 2017, 18, 
you know, if you look back, what it had done over the last 15, 16, 17 years, it had barely done, you know, 5% average returns. And so he was paying his advisor almost 3%, somewhere oh between 2 to 3%. 50% of his returns were disappearing in fees. Um, and so his advisor was driving a nice car, had a new house with a pool. And I said, well, guess what? See his house, see his pool, see his car. Guess who paid for it? You did. Yeah. And there was no tax advice, no retirement planning advice, you know, and the returns were mediocre. Um, so it's different than, hey, you know what? I've averaged 10% returns. You know, well, the reason why he didn't feel like he had as much money as he thought he was going to have was because there was no compounding because the compounding went out the door in fees. So fees are important. And who you're working with is important. And there is no reason to feel obligated to stay with an advisor when they are not a good fit, when they're overcharging you, and they're not doing what they should be capable of doing. So That's how I'm going to leave this. All right, fair enough. So that second opinion is what you're talking about. Folks, take advantage of it. How, how can we reach you, Mark? Uh, you can go to our website and email me, mark at efsforyou.com. Uh, you can call us, 712-224-4651. Um, if you're in the Siouxland area, you can stop in our office um, and just visit. Um, but we do a lot of webinars. You know, we do a lot of Zoom calls. You know, we just do a lot of calls, period, uh, to people that want to ask questions. And, you know, there is no stupid question. And so we'll visit, you know, simple questions are great because they're learning experiences for me, too. So when somebody asks a question, it's always a great question. So call us at 712-224-4651 and ask us some questions. We'll see if we can help you. And that's what I've got today. I'm Mark Gills with Mark on Money. Thank you for listening. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. EFS Group and the Securities America companies are unaffiliated. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Coach P. Ray.